Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Really excited for this next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we have Brian Smith with us. Brian is the founder of Ugg Boots. He's the head of operations for Lash.Live. He's also an author and a speaker. How are you today, Brian? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I've been doing a bit of research on your good self, and I know that you're an avid big surfer. So I wondered... When was the last time that you got to surf? And do you have some surfing stories you may want to share? Um, I haven't surfed for about three or four months because it's uh, just coming out of winter here. And it's, uh, I don't <laughs> handle the cold as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, surfing, I remember when I was about 12 years old thinking, you know, I'm going to surf till the day I die. Well, <laughs> I'm afraid that's probably not going to happen because I'm getting a little a little slow on the on the get up you know so but anyway I, I just enjoy the ocean so much do you have a do you have a story of, of when you surfed that kind of really stands out for you could you pick yeah, one probably the one I, it, it's in my book that i wrote which is the, you know my, my most memorable surf uh i never caught a wave i just <laughs> paddled out it was only about you know one or two foot swell and I sat out and watched the sunset and uh, just watched all the sparkles in the, you know, the, the little offshore wind. So all the spray was flying up and it was all this golden orange color. I sat there for about an hour just admiring the sunset. And then, yeah, I didn't catch any way. So I paddled in. That, that was probably my favorite surf. Yeah, beautiful being out in nature and how important nature is, you know, yeah. for our mind. And yeah, I, I sometimes talk, Brian, about, you know, in life, you know, a surfer waits for the right wave to catch it. And if you catch it right, it'll bring you into, into shore. But if you catch it wrong, it'll bury you. Do you agree? Do you agree with that? <laughs> totally. Uh, I can see your analogy there going towards business. That's, mm. that, I've never heard that. That's really clever. Yeah, well, when I was looking at looking at yourself and, and looking over your great work and your history, uh, when I, when I saw about your book, which you'll come on to as well, uh, and also about surfing, those two things really popped out to me because there's a lot of synergy, I think, in yeah. in the language around them. So looking yeah. forward to finding more out about that. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that every surfer will get bombed. You know, they'll, they'll take off wrong. They'll hit the, you know, they'll go down. But that's just part of getting the board back and going out again. You know, it's, it, it's, I, I can't believe how good that analogy is. <laughs> well you can have it now brian i'll let you thank i'll you. let you run with it thank you yeah you're welcome now i know that you sold ug imports to to decker's outdoor corporation i just wonder do you have any regrets with that no 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 no. it it was the the right time and there are a couple of really interesting side stories um one is that we just come off a a year where we had about $18 million in, in sales, you know, bookings. Mm -hmm. And uh, we didn't deliver a lot of it because we just didn't have the financing to do that. 
and the pre-season orders for, for, you know, 1995 were, were looking like the sales were going to be, you know, over 25 million. And I just ran out of a capacity to finance it. Right. I just, mm. you know, it, I, I wasn't capitalized well from the very beginning. And so I just looked at that and, and luckily I had a buddy that, that I knew he was on the road when I was starting Ugg and he had a little business selling triple decker sandals, you know, and uh, his company was called Deckers. And we used to joke on the road, you know, when we were really small, you know, hey, you should buy me, you know, oh, you can't <laughs> afford it. <laughs> that sort of stuff. Well, when we, when I was faced with this dilemma of huge sales coming up, um, Doug had taken his business public because he had a license for a brand called Tiva Sandals. And when the outdoor market took off, he went public with that. So I knew he was sitting on about $25, $30 million in cash. And his business died every winter and, and we died every summer. And so I just happened to see him in the baggage claim at the Atlanta airport. We were going to a trade show. Mm -hmm. And I just went, I just got goosebumps. I thought, oh my God, it's perfect. You know, he's got the cash. I got the sales. He dies every summer. A widow, we die every summer. And, and it'll be a perfect marriage. So, you know, we walked up and high-fived each other and we had the accountants talking to each other that afternoon. And so that was how the sale went down. And mm. so it was, it was like us going public without having to go public. We cashed out and got a little royalty on the back end. So that was good. Another reason was that there, I, I, you know, my company had become sort of corporate and I am really good at, and I love the startup phase where it's chaotic and unpredictable and you, you never know what's happening next week. And we got into this situation with a company where it was meetings and you know, breakouts and you, you know, five people to make a simple decision. And, and it just, I just hated that aspect of the business and it was hard, you know, it just couldn't stop it creeping in mm. as we got bigger. And then the third thing is that I, my skills as an entrepreneur were not the same skills you need to take a company worldwide in a really, really big corporate way. You need, you need a corporation that with a, lot of you know um, support from different departments and that was not me that that sort of lifestyle drove me crazy and so mm. luckily Deckers have, you know they, they sort of botched it a bit the first year or two which most takeover companies do they don't have a good sort of appreciation of the culture so they sort of bombed around for a couple of years but then they brought in a girl who came from the New York shoe fashion industry and, and she took it on and, and, and that's what, you know, made it really, really take off, you know, mm. in, in association with a few other little things. But, but so, so the bottom line is it was the perfect time for me to exit. Yeah, it seemed, seemed like things were very aligned for you, Brian, which is, which is wonderful when there's just such a beautiful flow where it yeah. meets m both parties in such a beautiful way. Right, right. I, I've never sold a business myself, Brian. So I wonder what was it like and what is it like to sell something that you've kind of developed and built over many years and then actually decided, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to pass it on. What's that like? It's, uh, 
a great question and I have a great answer, but I'm gonna give you a little backstory on it. Yeah. When I, after I sold the business, I wrote this book called The Birth of a Brand, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the theme of it is that you can't give birth to adults, right? Every business is, starts with someone conceiving the idea and then taking action, and that's the birth. So the birth of Ugg was me buying six pairs of samples to see if it would work, right? <laughs> and then it just goes into this infancy. Every business just goes into this infancy, and it just lies there, and it lies there. And no matter what you do, it doesn't seem to move, and you got to like keep feeding it and jiggling the cradle, you know? And the, but you can't make it get up and go to college. It has to be an infant, but eventually it'll start toddling. And that's when you're making your first sales and the true believers are you know, talking about you and the magazines are writing articles about you. That's mm. the toddling phase. And that quickly goes into the youth, which is consistent orders, production's great, accounting and shipping, shipping's, you know, everything's clicking in. You can run a 20, $30 million business in that youth phase, but if it hits the teenage phase, you know, you remember when you wanted to be in every party in town when you're mm -hmm. a teenager? It's the same in business. You want to be in every major trade show and every mass retailer. And it's, a, you know, it's a recipe for suicide if you, if you go down that path. <laughs> uh, but eventually it becomes mature. And so the, the reason I told you that backstory was, was your question was what? To... Uh, my question was like, what's it like to sell something that you've yeah, developed right. over years? Yeah. That's right. So I, with that philosophy, I was building like my baby through all of those phases. And when it got up to a 15, $18 million, I realized that I am not the person to take it out into the world. So it was like walking my daughter down the aisle <laughs> and handing her off to a new husband that can mm -hmm. now go live the rest of the life, you know? Mm. and have babies and grow and, and thrive in a new environment, which, which I wasn't ready, you know, I wasn't capable of doing. So, mm. so that's how I justified it. And, and, you know, I mean, even today, I look at, you know, every time someone walks by wearing sheepskin boots, I look around to make sure that <laughs> it's got an UG logo on it, you know? So I'm still super proud, of the, but I'm like the father of the baby, of the daughter, you know? Yeah, that's a lovely analogy as well. And, and to tell you what, loads of people including our ceo caroline loves ug she's got a couple of pairs herself right. so lo lo loves ug boots uh, so she was really happy that you could join us uh, for the for the podcast interesting you say it's like giving your your daughter away in marriage and i know that you said that when they first acquired uh, uggs from yourself that there was some like teething problems was yeah. was that was that difficult kind of seeing the fact that you'd passed on like your daughter your your baby uh, it really and, was. And, yeah. Yeah, it really was because, you know, there were so many things set up, which is what you call the culture of a company. Mm. And culture emanates through to your customers, right? And they came in with a mindset of, well, that customer's too small, we'll drop him, you know? That one, you know, they don't fit our profile, so we'll drop him. And that was like a big part of our business because we were, we were, nurturing these retailers to eventually grow and so they, their arrogance mm. um you know because the, the sales force now became the tiva sales the TV, tv sales force now became ug mm. and half the sales force didn't really understand ug and they didn't want to sort of jeopardize their teva sales and, and so 
and they were and the Teva customer and the retailers were slightly different to ours. We, you know, they were more action outdoors and we were more comfort casual. So they, they, they were very slow on recognizing that it was a whole new, new selling um, you know, process. Mm. But eventually, they, you know, they eventually got it because the pro- luckily the product was so damn good mm. that it could overcome all these little minor blunders. Beautiful. I love that. It's a great story. I was fascinated by how brands evolve uh, and then they they kind of diversify, but they don't lose their core identity, which is kind of what you were really getting yeah, at. If, if you're good, you don't lose your, yeah, the core is really important. Yeah, beautiful. Now, I know that you just, you showed us and, and you mentioned your book as well. And I would love to know, uh, how do you take an idea, Brian, and make it a reality? And I said at the start, there were two things that really resonated when I was uh, doing some uh, research on yourself. One was about surfing and and catching the wave. Interestingly, I produced a video on YouTube called How to Give Birth. Uh, Really? Yes. So uh, I found your title of your book really fascinating as well. So tell us first, how do we take an idea and make it a reality, which I think is pretty much the essence of your book that that you've got there? Yes. The most important thing is to start. Thousands of people have an idea and they tell people for years and years and years about their idea, but they don't do anything. Mm. And the, uh, you know, there's a, a saying that's been around that once you start out on a path, the universe will conspire to work with you, mm-hmm. right? right. It's thousands of years old, that saying. <laughs> but people don't sort of, realize how it works can you recall the last time you saw an advertisement for a refrigerator Uh, probably probably not right but if you needed a refrigerator next week you would start seeing refrigerators in the you know you'd go to starbucks and then the newspaper would be open at a page of refrigerators you know Mm. you'd be on TV, you'd see something about refrigerators. You, you drive by and see refrigerators on, on, in the store windows because now you've got to focus on something and all of that stuff, it's everything in the, you could possibly want to start any business in the world already exists. It really is out there. But with our lives, if, we, if we're sitting on the couch watching TV, we'll never see any of it. But the minute you start out on a path of going to start a dog food company, Mm-hmm. Right. Suddenly you'll start seeing dog food, you know, this, you'll, you'll be noticing dogs eat different food. You'll, all of this information will start to pile into your brain and you'll start to put it all together. And so if you don't start, you'll never see any of it. So the, the secret to starting a business, you, know, you asked me, how do you sort of get going? The bottom line is just start and the rest will, you'll be on a snowball. You'll just, it'll just come. Yeah, because I know a lot of people that actually sometimes they do struggle to start, but for others they start but they don't finish. What mm. would you say? What would you say to that? Well, the, uh, the 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 rare case is that the product just didn't work and they got no traction and they gave up. But I mean, it took me four or five years uh, with UG before I got any traction. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that kept me going was that I knew in Australia, you know, half the population wore sheepskin boots, right? So I knew it was a good product. 
and and the Americans didn't get it at all. They, it was like, oh, it's hot, it's sticky, it's prickly, it can't get it wet, you know, can't get mud on it, and they had no idea how you know rugged sheepskin is. And uh, so I had to figure out. After, you know, it took about four or five years to figure out that, oh my God, you know, if you don't let them try them on first, they're never going to buy them because they just don't get it. Mm. But the instant, uh, you know, I, I was at a ski show and this woman, I knew she owned like about 60 ski stores, right? Yeah. And she was saying, oh, they'll never work where we, we have mud and slush, you know? And, and I, I said, look, man, please take your shoe off and try this on. Oh, I don't need to do that. I said, please just humor me. And she put it on and she goes, oh my God, these are so comfortable. I could sell these in the after ski department, you know? And she gave me this humongous order. And it was, that was really the, the, the defining moment. So for, I had about 30 salespeople mm. and I made a rule that you never try and sell Ugg boots to any retailer until they've tried a boot on. Mm. And the, the sales just went through the roof. Just and so the, the point is that took four or five years to come through, and it was the biggest secret in opening up the sales. Uh, a lot of people might give up before that, mm. you know, two or three years. Oh, shit, if nobody likes them, nobody likes them, but they haven't figured out the trigger. Mm. And there's, there's usually a trigger with every business, there's, there's some trigger that, that will just you'll find your niche, and once you hit that niche get started and that niche will then grow and grow and grow and suddenly you'll be a, in a good business. Yeah. You really, you really needed people to experience your product. Hence why putting it on was so, so important. Yes. Yeah. And you said about, you know, taking five years, was there some dark moments where you thought, I don't know if this is going to make it like what, what drove you to keep going? Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, after the third, fourth year, I'd been um, advertising, you know, my product in, you know, for two or three years in action sports, retail and surfer magazines. And I had these models on the beach, you know, with, a, with the boots, you know, front and center in the ad and, and, you know, you know, perfect hair and clothes and, you know, everything. And the sales are just going nowhere. And I just couldn't understand it. And, that like the third or fourth summer, I, I agreed, you know, I was, was going to give up because I, I had to have summer jobs all the time just to stay alive. And I, I decided this one year when I was working on a golf course, you know, as a greenskeeper, I, I'm going to quit the business. Well, the first big storm came through in October in California and, and I got home soaking wet and, and the answering machine had about 35 messages from all my retailers going, God, we need Ugg boots immediately. Everyone's coming in the store wanting Ugg boots, you know? <laughs> and so I couldn't get out of business. You know, I, I, uh, but this time I, I was, you know, the, the, the advertising dilemma, I was having a beer with one of my surf shop retailers and I was explaining this problem. He just said, oh, shut up, Brian. And he calls it, hey, you guys, come out here and all these little 13 year old kids came out and he says, what do you think of Ugg boots? And every one of them just went, oh, those Uggs, man, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads? Those models, they can't surf. And instantly I realized I'm sending the wrong message to my target market, you know? And, and I was almost embarrassed at how bad the ads were because they were so fake. 
And so I got a couple of young kids uh, who were about to turn pro and uh, they were you know, really well-known young surfers. And I just went surfing with them to, there's a black speech in, in San Diego and trestles up in Orange County. And, and there's the, the, the walk is about a mile to the beach and there's fantastic surf on both those walks. You know? And I just took my own camera and I just did shots of us going surfing. And I ran some shots in the Surfer magazine and the sales went like, before it was like, I couldn't get to 20,000 in sales. The sales went to $220,000. Wow. Purely because, and, and, and the Ugg boots in the photos were like, you could hardly see them. It was all about, you know, the walk. And I realized then that I'd hit on something that every little kid in, a, in the country who read Surfer magazine would die to be walking down those, roads with Mike Parsons and Ted Roberts and it was so cool you know and that made me realize oh my god the peer pressure is so strong that I was able to take that into snowboarding and then you know as I expanded across the country back east it was all ice hockey you know that's what they did in the winter and so I was able to sort of make that same theme work and that was that was really the the day I began to understand marketing and advertising mm. So it took but four or five years. And, and yeah, I, I wanted to, I literally had planned to go out of business. Mm. The one thing that really stood out that says a lot about you, but I also think where a lot of people don't have that ability, right? When you heard the, the criticism of, uh, of your brand being fake, you know, your response was actually first you were embarrassed and then you were like, Brian, kind of like you idiot, this is how it should be. But you were really receptive, right? To the feedback. Now, Often in business, we get we kind of get too precious and too attached that when someone criticizes, we don't tend to take the teacher bill lessons out of it. What yeah. what is what what is it within you that makes you actually take criticism so well and actually adjust and give actually the customer or the audience what it is that they want? Yeah, the uh, it's a really great question. The, uh, the the one thing every good entrepreneur learns is how to pivot right and there's a lot of different words you can use but you know lateral thinking whatever but i've learned that that you know you, you don't start the business here and go straight up to you know fabulous right mm -hmm. you, you cruise along you hit a wall right and you've got a choice i give up or i go around it or up and over it and and the minute you get over it you cruise along and you hit another wall and you got another choice. And so it's, it's just this continual pivoting. How can I get around this, this problem? And the more times you do it and your competition doesn't, they, they give up. That's when you start to get market share. So mm. being able to be able to you know, think laterally and, and think around a problem. And there, there's always a solution. And the, it, it, one of the things in my book is that, that you know, it, your most disappointing disappointments nearly always become your greatest blessings. Mm, and when I'm on stage talking, I, you know, it doesn't matter how big the audience is, you know, 300 or 5,000, you know, I, I say, you know, raise your hand if in the last year some disaster happened in the business that at the time you thought was the worst thing in the world. And now you look back and thank God that that happened. Mm -hmm. And I'd say 80% of the, every single audience puts their hand up because if you don't hit the obstacles, you're usually not growing. 
And so it's when you grow and try new things and expand, that's when you hit the obstacles. And every time you can overcome them, you get a great, you know, jump on everybody else. That's wonderful. I love that. It kind of reminds me of turbulence. You know, it, it, it happens, you know, we, we're on a flight uh, and the turbulence comes and it's how we able to you know, push through that. And sometimes the only way out is through, but I do really love, I think you've got a beautiful mind, Brian. I think for me, that's one of the keys to your success there, what you just alluded to and what we were able to depict from your ability yeah. to really listen, you know, to what, what the audience and customer is saying, I think is invaluable. Yeah. Great, thanks. And it's also interesting that during your time, you know, inventing and getting UG off the ground, you also had like a very, uh, I guess, humble like job that you had in the background just to keep afloat. I think that's kind of reassuring for a lot of people that are transitioning from employment to self-employment to then entrepreneurship to have have that in the background. Yes. I, I, what I've learned is that I, I would not recommend anybody jump from a steady job straight into an entrepreneurial thing with no customers and no income. You, you, the, the time to jump is when your hobby business is taking up so much time that the real job is getting in the way. Yes, Brian, right. yes. Right, because I've learned, uh, you know, how I, I used to be an accountant before I came to America. And I, 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 I literally came to America looking for a business to take back to Australia. So it's weird that I discovered there were no sheepskin boots in America. <laughs> but I made a 100% jump. And so I literally, like the first year in the summer, I, I was scraping boats at Marina Del Rey and, you know, all, all, for all the boat owners. The next year I was uh, construction laboring in, in Bel Air near Beverly Hills. We, you know, the next year was, you know, greenskeeper on a golf course. And it was very difficult staying alive, but, but I was just running the business, you know, three or four months in the, as each winter came around. And it took you know, nearly five years before it, you know, became a full year round business for me. Mm. We're very aligned, Brian. I'm really enjoying this. It's very rich and good for my soul as well, just hear, yeah. hearing your success. You know, and uh, I want to talk a little bit now about, about current like endeavors. So I said that you, you were the head of operations for Lash.Live. What, what is Lash.Live, Brian, and why did you get involved in this? Um, I got involved because I've been mentoring a girl um, who makes these lamb leather sash bags which is, is to me going to be the next fanny pack, you know, it's a brilliant and, and it's so much like UGG because it's beautiful lamb leather. Uh, it's people don't really understand it at first, you know, but it's, it's so practical and so good. So I've been mentoring her, her for like seven or eight years and, and she had to get rid of about a hundred bags that had blemishes or the zippers were sticking and stuff like that. So she went on Facebook and she just numbered them one through 110 or something. And she sold everyone for a hundred dollars, you know, and she was holding it up on Facebook. And then, you know, people were saying, yeah, I'll buy it. Right. But she wasn't looking at the screen and she's you know, going on and on about this bag, but it's already been bought. And then after about 10 bags, she realized the minute she held it up, someone bought it. So she went through the next 90 bags, like in a half an hour. And, 
but that, you would think that was a huge success, but the problem is there was no payment system through Facebook mm. and it took nearly a month to, to track down who owned what bag and, you know, she, hey, you just, you know, you bought bag number 47. Well, I don't want that anymore. Well, why not? Because I bought bag number 33. Well, why did you buy 47? Well, I didn't know if I got 33, you know, it was like a total screw up, right? Mm. But we saw the power of it. And so we put a little bit of money into getting some um, programmers to develop a, a live action shopping sort of service where people can like, like, and this happened right before COVID, but you know how uh, you know, a lot of the people who had brick and mortar stores, like let's say a boutique, mm -hmm. the traffic just went to zero. Well, we had a lot of them come onto Lash.Live and they were able to program all of the products they wanted to sell. And now, by now, we've got real sophisticated. We've got a buy button and, you know, you, 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 you hold it up. You activate it and somebody buys it, you move on to the next one and everything. And, you know, we just charge a small fee for the, uh, for the service. It's free to build a product in Lash.Live. But it's, uh, it's been dinking along because we've been, you know, still trying to grow the Sash business. Mm. Uh, but we're just now ready to, to take it out to the market and start getting lots and lots of vendors to come on. And, and you, could, you could be selling anything, you know, you could be selling you know, wine to house goods to, you know, but the boutiques are really, really, really doing well. One of the boutiques, you know, that's a regular, she, she makes more in one hour on Lash.Live than she used to make in a week in the retail store. Mm. So it's a really, really viable, mm. um, you know, outlet for people who can, you know, don't want to have a bricks and mortar anymore. They just want to go on live. Mm. What made her what made her so investable or, or what made the attraction to mentor her so kind of exciting for you? Because I think that's important because people that will be listening will be like, you know, I've got so I'd love to get mentored or invested in. What would that be? What would that yeah. be? Well, well, with with Nicole, two things. One is the, the product itself. The sash bag was just, oh, my God, this is so like uh, I, I can totally see the trajectory. And, and it's really mirrored uh, all the way through. Um, you would think I could have avoided a lot of the problems, but, but somehow we ended up with exactly the same cycle, you know, and growth is very difficult because financing production, when you're growing and you have to pay up front because yeah. it's made offshore, yeah. that's just a, a real beast to try and make a business work that way. So, in fact, we, we're in the middle of a, of fundraising right now it's a it's a, a service here in the u.s called we funder and mm -hmm. it's, it's like kickstarter except but you don't sell product you sell stock in the company so it gives it makes you available to small investors you know who want to just spend a couple of hundred bucks or a thousand dollars and you don't have to get brokers and you know go through the stock market and all that sort of stuff it it it, it, it makes small companies available to small investors and we, we've raised about Oh, 450,000 in the first 12 days of wow. that. So, so that's really helping finance the production part of it. But with the Lash.Live, it's, it's uh, a little bit slower because it's very, you know, a lot of program intensive for all, you know, little glitches that might come up. But, but, you know, both of them are doing really, really well. And, and, the, and the, the, the reason that I got into Lash is because 
Nicole was so such a smart. She she's one of those gifted people that understands you know the numbers and the finance and has a great gift for planning, but she's also very artistic and that makes her graphic design and websites and the the Facebook posts. She's she's really really good at portraying a really fresh, vibrant image and she. She's got the most incredible following. She has about 70,000 what we call sash sisters, right? <laughs> They're the people who have bought bags. And wow. just like UG, more people, it's about 57% of the buyers own more than one bag, right? Just like mm. UG. You know how you, your wife's probably got a couple of pairs, <laughs> right? It's it's almost identical. So some, some you know, sash owners have got 20 bags or different colors and styles is because it becomes a real a real fashion thing so so yeah she, a combination of smarts and great product is why i helped mentor her yeah we took we talked about the power of the core identity didn't we at, at the yeah. start and i think that that obviously is something that you are really attracted uh, to which i i think is really fascinating brian yeah. We've got a couple of questions as we bring this into land now. Now, I know that you're an author and a speaker, yeah. and I would lo love for you to tell me what do you believe that the world needs to hear more of right now? This is nothing to do with my book. <laughs> <laughs> but if people could just understand where their, their neighbor is coming from. Like everyone you meet's got a different background than you do. Mm. And so many of us are fearful and afraid of, of other people, other ideas, other cultures, other colors of skin, other, you know, anything. It doesn't matter what it is. If we could just understand where they're coming from and you know, spend a day listening to their story and you know, what their upbringing was like, you'd start to understand them. And the, as you understand them, the fear goes away. And then, you know, the, the love begins to start, you know, well, I really like this person, you know, I, I, I you know, I, as much as I was afraid to, to talk to them up front now, they're, they're just like me, they got the same fears, they got the same everything. And if, if people could learn to understand, take the time to understand each other, just one, one more person every week, you know, the world would then in time become a much, much better place. We've, right now we, we, we attack people on, on a media that we don't even see the human being. Mm. We, we rip them to shreds because of their ideas. It's just such, that's the, to me the, the saddest thing about the whole social media is that it's taken everything so impersonal now and uh, you know, you just just a face and a and a title and a and a you know something you write, and then mm. that, that can be your you know it can raise some people up to stardom. It can take other people into the depths. You know, mm. it's a really interesting thing. So, so business wise, though, if if uh, what does everybody need? Um, wow, what an interesting question. I think Just, it's I think it's great what you talked about. It's clear that you're really emotionally intelligent, uh, Brian. You know, if I go back to your first example of how you were insistent that people had to try on the Ugg boot, right? It's, it's 
it's clear that you always put yourself in the position of your customer and then, right. and then engineer back from that. That's, that's the only way to do it. Yeah. Because the, the simple, simplest expert, I heard this on some talk show, but there was, you know, the world's best salesman was being interviewed and he says, okay, well, sell me this ashtray. And the guy says, well, do you smoke? He says, yes. And he says, well, you know, do you need an ashtray? Yep. How much, you know, how much would you pay for this one? Oh, 20 bucks. He says, okay, sold. In other words, you find out what they want and then you give it to them, right? That's the essence of sales. Find out what they want and figure out a way to give it to them. And you're going to have barriers. You're going to have, well, it's too expensive or, hey, it doesn't work the way I want it. But they're all just details. You figure those things out and fix them. But the bottom line is, what do you want? I'll get it for you. And that's the essence of sales. Yeah. And that's, I think that's part of the reason why you are super successful. And there's definite like mindset, you're teachable, flexible, willing to take criticism, pivot, evolve, uh, give people choice, listen to what they want and then educate them with what they need. Beautiful. Honestly, yeah. really good, Brian. And uh, finally, I'm always fascinated by this question, but if you could meet someone living or dead, who would it be and why? Um, I don't feel the need to meet this guy anymore because I've sort of matured. In, but, but when I was going through the growth stages, I always wanted to meet Richard Branson because he was such an out-of-the-box thinker. Mm. And I loved how he just took on everything as, a, as an opportunity and had no limits. You know, he, he could think really big. Mm. I was brought up with you can't do this, you can't do that, you know, all the all the junk that I accumulated. So I was I had to fight that all the time. And I was I read, you know, his first book, I think it was something about Virgin. And uh, you know, I, I I read I was more interested in his upbringing, you know, the first chapter when he talked about when he was a kid and how his mother ex, you know just expanded his horizon, you know. She dropped him off like a mile from home one day when he was about seven years old and said, find your own way home, you know. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was the most brilliant thing a, a, a parent could do, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, how confident would that make you when you got home, you know, <laughs> where, where I was, oh, don't, don't get out of sight, you know. And so I, I just would, would have loved to have met him there, but I don't feel the need to anymore. Yeah, he probably wants to meet you now, Brian. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to say um, before we wrap up? And I'd love for you to tell people where they can find out more about you as well. Sure, sure. The, my website is UggFounder. That's UGGFounder.com. So if you ever want to contact me there, my, my details are there. Um, but... Uh, I'm assuming your audience is, is mostly entrepreneurial. They are, yep. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is just find if, if you, you know, if you haven't started, figure out what it is that you want to do and start, right? Don't, don't give up your day job. Just start, take a risk, make a sample, see if anybody likes it. That's how to get into business. But if you are in business, um, you, you will always be frustrated with how slow things go. And so one of my favorite quotes this is the most powerful piece of philosophy that's in my book. 
is uh, the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is to live every day happily as a tadpole, <laughs> right? In other words, don't angst over it. Just keep doing what you do bit by bit, day by day, and just hang in there. I, I, and to show how universal this is, you know how I talked about the businesses going into this infancy, like it took me three or four years to get UG with momentum. I read a book called uh, Shoe Dog by, by Phil Knight, who's founded Nike. And he mentioned the sales of Nike. And would you believe that the first five year sales of UG was greater than the first five year sales of Nike? Wow. So as bad as we were doing, they were doing worse, you know. So <laughs> it just shows that even these giant, giant, giant companies all go through this infancy. And if you can just hang in there as a tadpole and, and enjoy it, pretty soon you'll be a, you'll be a frog, you know. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've really enjoyed this interview with you, Brian. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to continuing to watch your journey. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you too. It's a great. You, you've, this is the best interview I've done because we we didn't go through the normal. How did you start stuff? You know, I, I really really enjoyed all your questions. Thanks so much. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes, and I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.